0: You can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning again. Welcome again to Church of the Cross. This morning we are really privileged in light of the confirmations uh, that Bishop Todd is here with us this morning. Todd, I'm going to invite you up um, just where you're seated. If you would extend a hand and let's pray a blessing over Bishop Todd as he comes to preach uh, for us. Gracious and Almighty God, we thank you for the gift that Uh, Todd is to our community, even from afar, and we thank you this morning for his presence with us, and we ask now that the gift of your word, the gift of your spirit, and the gift that Todd is would work in concert such that um, you would be revealed to us through the words of scripture and the word shared uh, opened this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, everybody. Good morning. It's nice to be with you all. So if we think of the Bible, just picture yourself holding your leather-bound Bible, you know, your favorite Bible. That comes to us in all sorts of literature, but essentially the Bible is a narrative. If you think of it from pre-creation intentionality, all the way through all the ups and downs of humanity from biblical ages up to today. And then Revelation 22, five that says, and you all, and me hopefully, are going to reign with God forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. So essentially this big story is about God having a special people, a particular people with a unique calling to be his people on the earth. There's some technical language for that, you know, covenant theology or something like that. But what I want you to hear this morning is the uniqueness, the specialness, the particularity of you being who you are in God's story. Like think of Psalm 139, before you were knit in your mother's womb, the Lord knew you. So I want you to focus for a moment on that first phrase I used of pre-creation, divine intentionality, meaning that gets us to wonder why. Did God say, let there be light? Like, do you think he's just trying out that divinity thing? Hey, I'm going to try this out. Let's see if it works. I'm going to say, let there be light. And then God went, oh my gosh, that worked. You know, like, hey. No, there was obviously some intentionality, right, behind creation. And behind it, again, is the forming of this very particular people who would be, I love the way Tom Wright says this, God's first responders in the cosmos, or if you think of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that the people of God would one day be a blessing to the whole earth. And that's what's happening here in Confirmation. If you were to ask, why is the reception of the Holy Spirit not just normative, but important? It, was, it would be because God's purposes in you and through you require a power that matches that purpose. This is why being filled with the Spirit can never be merely Pentecostal or charismatic. It's why it can never be some sort of, it can't be reduced to some sort of religious consumer choice that, you know, says, well, I'm, I'm really Presbyterian, but I guess I'll take a little of the Spirit. As if God's, well, thank you. Or, <laughs> or, you know, I think of the evangelical world that I come out of, just sort of that mainstream evangelical world where people used to say, well, I'm, I'm open to the Spirit. Again, as if we think we're doing Almighty God a favor. Like, oh, th- like God's gonna be impressed that we're open. You know, like I don't wanna really say I'm desirous, that might make me a Pentecostal, that might make me, that might make me crazy, but, but well, I guess I'm open in this sort of conservative, evangelical, cautious way. I'm open. And I just want you to hear this. When you talk about the Holy Spirit, You're not talking about an it, a thing, a power. You're talking about the third person of Almighty God. That's all you're welcoming into your life. The gift of the Spirit is not primarily speaking in tongues, although they did in this passage we read. And of course, that's totally fine. But the gift of the Spirit is a person And then picture that person active and alive and working in your life. And he does things like give you gifts so that you can then take your place as the particular person that God made you in this bigger particular people. And the Spirit works in our life to give us fruit. Love, patience, kindness, goodness, right? All those things. This is what we're inviting into our lives. We're not inviting, again, a denominational choice into our life. This can never be reduced, as I said, to that kind of like consumeristic sort of attitude. So the vision of the ancient church has been, again, thinking of that big narrative, or if you want to think about it in more covenantal terms, that babies are baptized. That is to say they're placed into that special community by the faith of their parents and the surrounding faith of the community of faith then the vision of the ancient church was is that when children get old enough and they can speak for themselves. Now, we have almost, I think, all adults being confirmed. So it's a little different. Often when I go around and confirm people, I'm confirming confirming 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids who are saying, I now of my own volition place myself into that story. So there's symbolism involved in this, for sure. There's churchly symbolism. Like the bishop shows up in his funny clothes. And people will kneel. That's symbolic. And I'm going to lay my hands on people's heads. That's symbolic. And I'm going to anoint them with oil. That's symbolic. But never merely. Like when you guys kneel here, if you intend to receive the Spirit, You will receive, just think of like Ephesians 5, be continually being filled with the person and work of the Spirit. It's my intention that that's what will happen in your life. If it's your intention to receive it, you will. And that is not symbolic. That is literally the person of God coming alive in someone's life, giving them a vision for how you make your specific place or take your specific place in that peculiar people of God. Maybe think of... of, um, Paul saying to Timothy that the, the gifts that you were given as a young person, let them be stirred up in you. This is the vision of me sitting, you kneeling, me laying my hands on you, is that we would be saying yes to this big story. And all throughout the scriptures, the reception of the Spirit is initiated, not always, but mostly through the laying on of hands. Someone lays hands on somebody and the Spirit is given. So, I just want to say in the beginning that's the narrative based purpose of the sending of the Spirit. So, I want you to picture what Jesus might have been imagining when he said, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms has to be fulfilled. And then he's not just thinking of himself, he's thinking of the body of Christ, as we would say it today, like this whole now universal global church. And he's saying, so I'm going to send the promise of my father upon you, so stay in the city until you're equipped or clothed with power from on high. And so what Jesus is envisioning is that his first followers would not freak out that he was going to die, not freak out that he was going to ascend into heaven. You know, this is what's happening in John 14 where they're fearful of being orphaned. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm not going to orphan you. Well, what's the antidote to not being orphaned? My presence is going to remain with you through the person and work of the Spirit. And so what Jesus is picturing is that the Spirit is going to come. And the Spirit is going to then continue this story that began with pre-creation intentionality came to this enormous zenith in the, in the person and work of Christ. Now everybody, in, if you put yourself in this narrative, everybody's freaking out because the Christ event not only seems over, but it seems like defeat. Did you all read Emmaus Road last week? Was that the reading for last week? Oh, yeah, you guys are in John. So, the, so the, a classic Easter reading is the, the couple on the road to Emmaus, who, who they were not like, oh, let's try to figure out what's happening. No, it was very clear. Jesus was dead Right? There's no remorse in those guys without the knowledge that Jesus is dead. They were not thinking in what we would now call soteriological terms and worrying about theories of the atonement. They just knew this claimed Messiah was dead. Just like every other claimed pseudo-Messiah, killed as a criminal by the state. So just think if you had a loved one who committed no crime and was killed by the state. That's what they were feeling. They weren't doing theological reflection. And Jesus' antidote to them is his presence. And this is what Jesus is picturing will be the antidote for the whole cosmic, universal, all-time church, is that presence would be there. Here's what you need to picture when you try to picture a charismatic life. Look, I was president of Vineyard Churches. Do you know, anybody know what Vineyard Churches is? There ain't nobody who's seen more of the good, bad, and the ugly of the Holy Spirit than me. Seriously, there there is no one alive who has seen more than I have. I don't say that very often, but just so you know, that's the truth. So I only mean that to say, like, if you're coming from a place this morning where you're still reacting a little bit to excess, I just want you to know I get it. And you have my honest, full empathy and you may read a text this morning like Acts where you think of, you know, a mighty rushing wind, you know, like like did the doors all blow open and was there a cross breeze or were there only windows on one side and did it mess up the Wi-Fi in the room, you know, I mean. Or, you know, my, you know, tongues of cloven fire, like I get that people shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know what to do with that. I totally get that. And I get that people might even read the list of the gifts and Romans and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians 12 and kind of shrug their shoulders again and say, I don't know. Like, man, I've seen prophecy just get really weird. I get it. But look at me. The Holy Spirit is as easily grieved by being ignored as he is by excess. The answer to wrong use is never no use. The answer to wrong use is proper engagement. Well, here's the proper engagement. This is, what Jesus, this is what Jesus is seeing when he says all this. This is what he's imagining. Jesus said of himself constantly, I only do the things I see my father doing. I only say the things I hear my father saying. The son can do nothing on his own. The son came to do the will of the father, right? Go on and on and on. We could name 10 passages like that where Jesus is describing, catch this, relational reliance. That's the vision there. Now, again, we could argue over economic subordination in the Trinity or something, but this isn't the place for that. I just want you to hear the relational reliance that the the son is deeply involved in this narrative of the father that I have explained to you as pre-creation intentionality to the end of the story and the renewed cosmos. Jesus is intimately aware of the space that he occupies in that story. And so when Jesus then says to his first friends, don't worry, you will be given the paraclete. That's the Greek term there in John 14 for comforter. Paraclete's been translated all different sorts of ways. The best Greek scholars in the world have never been able to agree exactly on how to translate paraclete. Um, para means, in this case, is a prefix there, means something like around or surrounding you. And, and clete could be something like a comforter, and that's why the common thing is comforter or supporter or something like that. My favorite translation I've ever heard, and that I would commend to you, is the continuator. And the reason is, what were they afraid of? Abandonment. So what is Jesus addressing when he says, don't worry, you'll be given the paraclete? He's precisely addressing their abandonment fears, and saying, no, in the same way that I only did what I saw the Father doing, Now the Holy Spirit's going to come, right? You all know these passages. He'll teach you, lead you, guide you, bring into remembrance all that I've taught you. He will give you gifts. He will change your life through the fruit of the Spirit. So what you see happening in the Pauline letters, where he notices, like, let's take the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, I think to, like, put this in simple terms, what you have Paul doing there is going, oh my gosh. What Jesus said is happening. And then the language of First the first three or four verses, or maybe eight verses, I forget, of Romans 12 is beautiful, evocative language. Where one of the things Paul says, he, when he says there's manifestations of the Spirit, that word manifestations is the Greek term phaneroses. And phaneroses comes from theater. It comes from puppeteering. And so what Paul's literally picturing is picturing the dancing hand of God over Church of the Cross, What's to be afraid of? Nothing. The dancing hand of God giving charismata. Well, some of you know the the root word for that word, charis, means grace. And mata as a suffix there means something like a little portion of. It was Russ Spittler at Fuller, I think, who translated that gracelets. So again, I want you to catch this. The dancing hand of God. Operating over this congregation called Church of the Cross and dropping little gracelets upon you. A little gracelet of leadership here. A little gracelet of prophecy here. A little gracelet of healing here. A little word of wisdom there. A word of knowledge back there. That's the vision. That's what confirmation is all about. If you're an adult, you're just simply saying, I want to be a part of that story. And if and if it truly and, and if it's really real that the sending of the Spirit is the pivotal point between the sending of the Son and Revelation 22 and us ruling and reigning with God in the new heavens and the new earth, if that really is the pivotal moment, this is just saying I want to get in on it. Like I want to say yes to what it is that God thinks He's doing. God is sending the person work of the Spirit. To enable the church to fulfill the purposes that God has given to her. So, whenever I read these passages, we didn't read Psalm eight this morning, but whenever we read these passages, it makes me think of um, Proverbs. I mean, sorry, um, Psalm eight. What are humans? The psalmist says. You can almost see his heart and brain being racked, like. Like, desiring an imagination, like, not a this, this is not a theological pop quiz. Hey, Lord, what's ontology? Or, you know. Hey, Lord, can you give me a biblical anthropology? That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is a human being saying, what does it mean to be human? And the answer is, you're to be my cooperative friends. I have created you to work with me in bringing goodness to the earth. That raises the question, how? How am I supposed to do that, little old me? I don't have agency over what's happening in Ukraine right now. I have no agency in Haiti. I have no agency in China. Anybody who looks at the world's problems with half a brain immediately feels impotent, immediately feels how little agency we actually have, really feels how little power we have. And so then you have to wonder, well, how do we get past that? And the answer is, trust in and rely on, have an ongoing, robust, conversational relationship with God the Holy Spirit? That's the answer. In God's design, Pentecostals, turn of the century American Pentecostalism did not create that. In the 70s, Charismatic Revival, or the Vineyard or whatever, did not create that. This is like God's divine story. So that what, what's happening at Pentecost is so beautiful is that let's picture the confirmands are 12. I think you're more than 12, but let's picture there's 12 of you, and let's make you, for the fun of it, the first 12. And I know this doesn't really work. That makes me Jesus, but whatever. (laughs) Where this does work is that I am right now making myself manifest to you through my body. the beautiful vision of Pentecost is is that one day there's going to be this global church of billions, I don't have the number in my head right now, 2.3 billion or something, I forget, Christians in the world. How's, How's Jesus gonna be present to them? How will he manifest his being to them? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. And so confirmation or any sort of Christian living is simply saying, Lord, I embrace, I want, I desire what you're giving so that the personal power of Jesus would now be in me. And, that, and with the knowledge that this is the mode and means by which God is putting his power and authority into operation in his people so that a new world is being born. I mean, come on, can you see the difference between, well, I go to sort of a charismatic Bible study on Thursdays, like that's my little tip of the hat to the Holy Spirit, versus what if your place in life is to help a new world be born? Well, now suddenly you're going to say, well, I can't do that on my own. I need the person and work of the Spirit. And this is the vision of the Ezekiel passage that whenever in that big story from divine, pre creation, divine intentionality, you know, through patriarchs and judges and kings and prophets and John the Baptist and the sending of Jesus, when things go wrong in that story, like they were in Ezekiel's time, what does God do? He breathes on his people. And that brings us to our final point of confirmation. In John 20, Jesus, the text says, breathed on his first friends and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek grammar there is almost identical to the upper room discourse, where Jesus took bread, broke it, and said, take, eat, took the cup, blessed it and said, take, eat. It's the exact same Greek construction in John 20. Take the Holy Spirit. And I remember years ago spending some time in various Greek dictionaries. You know, I was just so fascinated by this. And and it means like to receive or actively lay hold of what it is that God's giving. One of the old translations had it, be ye getting. It means something like Jesus is exhaling on you, church, Posture yourself to inhale what he's exhaling, that like a balloon, our lives would be blown up, you know, made, made, made like active and, you know, like a balloon blowing up because of what Jesus is exhaling to us. And the vision here, again, is not to make us all into charismatics or Pentecostals or something. I love the way Peterson, Eugene Peterson gets this in a book he wrote called Eat This Book, And he has this lovely analogy, at least it's lovely to me, where Peterson says that, hey, look, anybody can recognize the difference between an accurate but wooden performance of say Mozart's violin concerto number one. So picture that piece of music if you can. And what Peterson is saying is if you went to like a junior high performance and you saw a 13-year-old kid playing that on cello, you might think, oh man, that kid plays in time. That kid plays in tune. Kid knows what he's doing on his instrument. But that's very different, Eugene says, from watching or listening to Yitzhak Perlman to listening to a virtuoso performance. Because Peterson says, Perlman's performance is not distinguished merely by his technical skill in reproducing what Mozart composed. No, Perlman wondrously enters into and conveys the score, the spirit, the energy, the life of the score." So now picture yourself again holding your favorite leather-bound Bible and say to yourself, that's a score of God's composing. And I want to be Pearlman. I want to wondrously enter into that score. And I want to convey the spirit and the energy of it. I just don't want to accurately, and we might think, be legalistic, like Jesus was so upset at the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers the law about. They were like the 13-year-old kid. And Jesus is simply saying and has been saying for generations now over and over again, I want you to accept with initiative that which I'm giving. This emphasizes our will. Again, the the Greek dictionaries say that this this emphasizes the assertiveness or not of the receiver. This is what Jesus means in, in Luke 11 when he tells the parable of ask, seek, or knock. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Why? That just simply shows our assertiveness, our, or you might say, our desire. And then last thing, you may remember that at the end of that section in Luke 11, you know, I think it starts with, um, just went out of my brain, but you have the Lord's Prayer, then you have the parable of the person who's persistently knocking, then you have the, the saying about ask, seek, and knock, and then the last thing is, in this section of Luke 11, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? Anybody remember? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. As I'm laying hands on people this morning, if, if you, on the one hand, we're going to invite you to pray for the confirmands, but you can have moments where you just might want to lift your hands to God as if to receive and as you hear me praying these words of confirmation, you might want to add your will this morning that says, yes, Lord, again, thinking of Ephesians 5, I want to consistently being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's message there. Be ye continually, be, I, for some reason, I remember this in the, the old uh, King James from when I was a kid, but be ye continually being filled with the Spirit. That's been like an operative thing in my life since I was 19 years old. And I had my first jobs in ministry, and I just turned 67. That's almost 50 years. What you're hearing this morning is a 50, almost 50-year reflection on what it means to live a life that seeks to be animated by the Spirit. It is crucial and core to everything God's doing on the earth. So the invitation this morning again, so maybe you could just even close your eyes and picture this. Take what Jesus is giving. Like Put yourself in that setting of John 20. Inhale what he's exhaling. Welcome the spirit. Receive the spirit this morning. You might think of catching the wind. Or you might picture letting the wind of the spirit move you where it wills or the Spirit leading you to childlike surrender.